Welcome to All the Things with Monique Dusan from the Center for Biblical Unity and theology mom, Krista Bontrager. And now, here's Krista and Monique. And welcome to All The Things. I'm Monique Dusan. And I'm Krista Bontrager, also known as Theology Bomb. Awesome. And this is the show. Thank you. So I sure, I was like, I don't know where we are from here. This is the show where <laughs> the we talk about right all the things related to God, the Bible, and real life. And apparently, I don't read the cue sheets. <laughs> so we are talking tonight about an interesting and controversial topic kind of be touching a little bit on the issue of colonialism mm-hmm. as we go. But, you know, the Judeo-Christian worldview is like is usually looked upon these days as being a corrosive destroyer of culture. Byproduct of whiteness. Yeah. And white supremacy. And the the term colonialism is is kind of become the way of describing this idea that wherever Christianity goes, where missionary efforts go, it brings with it this kind of corrosive destroyer of of whatever indigenous culture is there. Yeah. And um that we we turn everything into being Christian. White Christian is now synonymous with being white. Yeah. So our guest tonight has a little bit different perspective on missions and culture and cultural transformation and the gospel. And I think it's going to be interesting to talk to him. We're going to be focusing on his book um, and Bob's going to put it on the screen for us. I'm going to put it up here. It's called The Book That Made Your World. And we're going to be talking to Vishal. No, I, I forgot to ask him how to pronounce his last name. We're going to have to have him do it for us. I want to say Mangalwadi. Okay. But I Mangle couldn't Wadi. be completely off. All right. We will find out when we bring him on. Yes. But if you've listened. Very kind. If you've listened to the Theology Mom podcast for any length of time, you've probably heard me mention this book. It's a book I really enjoy and like and recommend a lot. So with that, let's bring on Vishal. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm honored to be with you. Thank well, you. We're honored to have you. Very much so. Can you please tell us a little bit about yourself, the correct pronunciation of your last name? Yes. And how you came to faith in Jesus? Well, you did very well. My name is Vishal Mangalwadi, and I'm from India. Um, Mangalwadi is the Hindi translation of the character evangelist in Pilgrim's Progress. After the Bible, Pilgrim's Progress was the most translated book in India, in all of Indian languages. And my grandfather uh, took this name from Pilgrim's Progress. So um, it means one who speaks good news. That's the literal uh, meaning of the word that was coined uh, to uh, in place of the character evangelist. Uh, I am... Uh, a, a Christian. Uh, I'm called a Christian philosopher because I've written about 25 books and I'm working on several more. Uh, several of my books are taught at the university level. The first book was a study of Hindu gurus and uh, it, it had a chapter on why I be, uh, follow Christ as my guru. So Right now, what I'm doing is a movement, an educational movement called the Third Education Revolution. Uh, A a number of us are involved in it. Our book, uh, 30 of us wrote a book together. It's called the Third Education Revolution, and it is seeking to change the future of uh, education. Wow. Yeah, and I, I we might have to have Vishal back sometime to talk about that because that's a whole other aspect of his project that um, I'm curious to to learn more about. How did how did you come to faith? Were your parents Christians in growing up in India? It, yes, um, I came to faith in a moral struggle as a teenager. I had become addicted to lying and stealing. 
and uh, I thought I needed willpower to control my tongue. Uh, but a gentleman explained to me that your problem is not lack of willpower. You are a very stubborn young man. Uh, your problem is that you have a disease and it's called sin. It has power over you. And that's why you do these things habitually. But the good news is there is a savior who can save you from these habits from which you want to be delivered. So I asked Jesus to save me uh, from my habit of lying, but he went ahead and saved me from my habit of stealing, shoplifting as well. I was able to go back to shops and apologize and offer to make restitution. And thankfully, nobody took the money because these were little things that I was stealing. Uh, so that was as a teenager. But uh, by the time I was 1920, studying philosophy in the university, I realized that no philosopher knows the truth. Uh, they know that they are blind people trying to understand an elephant and they are disagreeing and fighting with each other because each of them has uh, ex ex is experiencing a part of the elephant which is different than the others. So uh, I, re I realized that my professors knew that the philosophers knew that they did not know the truth and that they could not know the truth. And that led me to realize that the only way we can know the truth is if there is someone who is not blind, who knows and is kind enough to reveal truth to us. Uh, so I began to study scriptures, um, beginning with Hindu scriptures, and it was reading the Bible, particularly the historical books of the Bible, Kings and Chronicles, that helped me see that the Bible is actually God's revelation. So uh, I've written these things in my books, and uh, I've been championing the Bible as the book that created the modern world, but a book which is God's revelation of truth to us. Very good. Wow, what an interesting story. I, I, I'm wondering, with the religious systems in India, was the person that introduced you to Jesus and told you about your sin of lying and, you know, sin overall, was that person like a missionary or? Uh, he was working with... Uh, uh, some children's ministry may have been Scripture Union or, um, yes, uh, something like Christian Endeavor, uh, something like that. Interesting. Now, the academic kind of storyline that we hear right now in the West is that India was really, Indian culture was destroyed by British colonialism. I think your perspective on that, though, is a little bit different. And um, you actually seem to think that Christian ideas and the Bible coming into India was a positive thing. And maybe you can begin to sketch that out for us of why you take that perspective. Uh, thank you. Um, the... Most of India, that is Delhi, the capital of India, had been ruled by Muslims, several different dynasties of Muslims, uh, for 700 years before uh, the British took over uh, governing India, beginning with Bengal, which is eastern India. So the British came to India as East India Company to trade and make money. And they realized that the local king of Bengal, he was uh, under the Mughal emperor, he could not be trusted. He himself was raiding and looting uh, the East India Company fort called um, uh, in, in Calcutta. So that we cannot continue to do business in India where there is no uh, justice and therefore they had to fight and uh, beat two different kings in Bengal. And then uh, the Mughal emperor gave the administration of uh, administrative responsibility to collect taxes for him 
to the East India Company. Um, company. So that's how the British colonialism began. They came as traders, they became rulers, at least the administrators first, uh, but under the Mughal em Empire. So, uh, yes, eventually they destroyed the Mughal Empire uh, using their military power and the organizational strength. And not so much technology because the British, the Mughals were supported by the French uh, with the, the same kind of technology that uh, for war, guns and all cannons that the British had. Uh, so the British had no interest in defending or destroying Indian culture. The destruction that came, uh, came from ideas which were introduced by the missionary movement. So if anything destroyed Indian culture, it was not colonialism because their interest was to make money, not to destroy culture. Uh, they in fact wanted India to remain a weak culture, but empowering India uh, and blessing India was the interest of the Christian missions and it was the ideas that Christianity brought into India, the Bible that brought into India, they were the ideas that destroyed uh, whatever uh, seems to have been destroyed. And uh, uh, because it was conflict of ideas, Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven comes uh, when the sower begins to plant seeds. These seeds are the word of God, the ideas, the word is ideas, truth. It is truth that transforms and it uh, does uh, destroy uh, a lot, lot of untruth or falsehood or mythologies on which Indian culture was built. Um, for example, just what is uh, so much of interest to you, the whole question of unity. The India, uh, should it be one nation it was the Mughal Empire was there, but India was fragmented into many kingdoms. There were um, more than 700, 800 kingdoms uh, uh, while the, the Muslims were ruling. And uh, should these kingdoms be united to be, become one nation like England before the when the Vikings were invading, these used to be lots of different um, kingdoms in England or America was 13 U USA was 13 colonies. Should these be united into one nation? Uh, this idea of unity was very important in the Bible. Uh, the Israel was 13 tribes, as Joseph had become two tribes. Should tribalism rule, divisions rule, or should these 13 tribes live together as one great nation? Uh, this is a central concern in, in the Bible, in the Old Testament. When the tribalism takes over, uh, Israel splits into 10 northern tribes, two southern tribes called Judah. Judah and Israel become two nations with two geographies, two governing structures. Um, and uh, But the prophets look forward to these two nations, Judah and Israel, being united by a good shepherd who will keep the flock together. So this idea of political uni unity uh, did come from the Bible. And in fact, uh, that old culture of tribalism, casteism, and political divisions was destroyed. Uh, but this idea of political unity came from the Bible. Wow. So it so even though Christianity may have come in through missionaries and did away with some pieces of Indian culture, it sounds like what you're saying is that there were there was more good that came from it than the opposite. Oh well, this is a commission that Jeremiah was given to destroy, uproot, plant, and build. So uh, the gospel is a disturbing force where Paul is going around the world uh, preaching nothing but Jesus the, and, and him crucified, 
but he is perceived as a troublemaker who is turning the world upside down. Uh, so this is true. The, uh, there was European culture of worshiping all kinds of gods and goddesses and demons, um, uh, but uh, all of those Greeks and uh, Roman and other pagan gods have disappeared, and uh, Europe began to worship one god, and when they turned to atheism, they rejected that one god, uh, but basically nobody is, uh, hardly anybody has gone back to worshiping Zeus or uh, Jupiter or those gods and goddesses. So same thing began to happen in India, that yes, missionaries came and they began to challenge uh, that nature uh, should not be worshipped, we should rule over nature. So a culture that was worshipping nature, worshipping human gurus, worshipping demons, uh, they should, we should actually seek and find the true God and worship him. Likewise, languages, uh, many people would see that the missions did a terrible thing of destroying Sanskrit, which was the sacred language of India, like Latin in Europe, where the learned people studied Sanskrit. But the Brahmins, the upper caste Hindus, uh, they did not teach Sanskrit to the lower caste. They did not teach Sanskrit to their own wives. Missionaries, because they were inspired by the Protestant Reformation, began to transform oral dialects into literary languages. Like that's what uh, Reformation was a linguistic revolution where Martin Luther, when he realized that God wants every child of his to be a priest and king, he understood that it means that every child has to be educated and therefore education uh, should be in the language of the heart language of the people. So he began to translate the Bible into German, uh, write hymns into German, because if everyone is to be a priest and worship God, hymns should be in German, not in Latin. Um, likewise, the Bible, the Word of God, should be in German or English or Spanish or Scandinavian languages. So the Reformation was a linguistic revolution which uh, uh, um, 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 sort of marginalized Latin, but built up uh, the oral dialects into literary languages and began the great literature of German and English and French languages, etc. This was the linguistic intellectual revolution that the missionaries brought. So did it marginalize Sanskrit, the sacred language of the Brahmins? Yes, it did. Is that good or bad? The Brahmins are very upset, but we have had 75 years of freedom. Uh, they could make Sanskrit like the uh, we be, uh, Israel became free in one year after us in 1948, and it resurrected Hebrew language, made it a national language. Indians, Hindus could do the same with Sanskrit uh, if they feel that uh, building up the vernacular was a terrible damage done to our culture because our culture believed in the superiority of the Brahmins and it wanted to keep the masses in the uh, grip of intellectual ignorance. They should not be studying sac sacred language. So Christianity turned the world upside down. It turned, turned India upside down by building up the languages of hard languages of the people into literary languages of the mind for study, education, research, government, etc. Um, so yes, did the missions hurt uh, Indian culture? They did. Um, take widow burning, for example. Um, I've just completed Wait, a sorry, new edition. Sorry. sorry. Uh, I, I, I want to make sure I heard you correctly because you, you just, you kind of skipped over that part. Did you say widow burning? Yes. yes. What is the widow burning practice? Well, uh, when a husband dies, uh, a widow becomes a problem because in order to marry her, her parents have given a jewelry, cash, etc., dowry, it's called, mm -hmm. to the bridegroom's family. Now, if she is to be remarried uh, to someone else, the family has to, the, her 
Her parents had already given the dowry. Now her in-laws have to give the dowry. Uh, and that's a problem to give the family property away. Um, if, if she lives in with continues to live with the family, she is a temptation, sexual temptation to her brother-in-laws, uncles, and others. Uh, so uh, it's what do you do with the problem of a widow living in her in-laws' home? So widow remarriage was not allowed for the upper castes. Education of women was not allowed. There wasn't anything that she could do. So the to solve the problem of a widow, the simple solution was to get rid of the widow. So she was uh, encouraged to be burned on her husband's funeral pyre. And this was uh, one of the Indian cultures which was challenged by the missionary movement. Uh, and I've just completed a new version of our book on William Carey. It's called The Father of Modern India. William Carey is the father of modern India. And this book has just gone into designing. And he was the one who championed a widow burning, and it was abolished in 1829. So uh, it, it, the decision uh, was contested by Brahmins that this is our sacred tradition. Uh, but the uh, this case, although the missionaries championed uh, that widows should not be burnt, they should be educated, they should be remarried, they should have an opportunity to have a new life again. So yes, it, it um, challenged Indian culture and changed it. Whether this was good or bad depends on one's perspective. Uh, we had in a, my wife and I co-authored this book. It, uh, uh, someone was speaking in Harvard University. A, uh, a, a white woman was speaking in Harvard University, uh, and she held up our book that, look, this is what the missionaries did in India. And one white woman, a PhD scholar in Harvard, she got very angry. She shouted at the speaker, who gave the authority to this white British missionary, uh, a male, to abolish a sacred tradition of the Hindus to burn their widows. So here was, the, the, from the perspective of- Social justice worry. Yes, so here was a secular PhD scholar, an American woman, getting upset that missionaries were challenging and changing Indian culture. Um, whether this is good or bad, there will remain a disagreement as long as the American universities, such as Harvard University, have become as stupid as they have. Yes. Uh, they will see this as terrible. I'm sure the widow is happy. She, you know, may not be protesting. Uh, but also, I think that it goes to show how Christianity speaks to the dignity, value, and worth of a human being and how we speak into that because humans are created in the image of God. It's not, you know, about customs and cultures and things like that. There's actually um, a ruling outside of us that rules that we have dignity, value, and worth, and we're not just expendable, you know, like just an afterthought. Yeah, and I think the example from the book of Acts uh, I believe it's from Acts 19 that you were talking about earlier when Paul goes to Ephesus and there's a big riot that breaks out because they, I think, inherently see that where the gospel goes, culture is going to change. And in the book of Acts, what happens is the gods are challenged um, and in turn, the people who make a living making the the statues for the gods is threatened and they say you know paul this man he's he's you know overturning the world when the gospel goes out it it is going to have a level of disruptive or transformational effect because it's confronting sinful practices um wherever it goes i'm i'm wondering oh, what about the caste system in India, how how was that impacted as the Bibles Bibles were more 
distributed and translated into the languages of the people and people started reading it, did, did that have any impact on the caste system? Yes. Uh, one of the most disruptive things that the Bible introduced into India was the idea of human equality, uh, that all human beings are made in God's image, therefore they share the dignity of being God, God's likeness, whether they're male or female, a high caste, low caste. So Hinduism and Christianity are based upon two diametrically opposite ideas. One says you must love your neighbor as yourself. The other says holiness is to despise your neighbor as an untouchable. You cannot touch him. You cannot sit with him. You cannot eat the food that he has touched or drink the water that he has touched or uh, intermarry with these lower castes, um, etc. So this uh, isolation of castes in Hinduism, dividing uh, people amongst uh, caste lines, uh, is uh, once again, you know, your title, the Center for Biblical Unity. Hinduism was a divisive force that divided India in different castes. So the toiling masses worked, made money, but that money was taken from them and stored it to temple. That's why when Muslims began to invade India um, in the year 1000, uh, they would destroy temples because temples were the treasuries where money was stored. But common men did not stand up to defend those temples because most of the uh, lower castes were not allowed to enter those temples, uh, and the wealth which was stored in these temples was not being used for the good of the people. It was not being used to build schools or roads or bridges or tunnels or hospitals or to educate anybody's child. So uh, the common man whose wealth had been taken by the ruling elite, they had no stake in the system and they were not willing to risk their lives and fight in invading armies. So Hinduism divided India because it is not a religion based on the command, you must love your neighbor as yourself. And that division weakened India, and that was the root cause of colonization, that India had become so weak that a few thousand uh, Englishmen could colonize the vast subcontinent and rule, rule over it for 190 years. Before that, for 700 years, Muslims had ruled over India, uh, much, of, much of India, um, not, not all of India. Uh, so the Hinduism, this, uh, di by dividing people in castes against each other, uh, weakened India terribly, and Christianity uh, changed that by bringing the idea of human equality, that all people are made in God's image, they are equal. All have sinned. Sin makes us equal because a Brahmin is not closer to God by the by virtue of his birth. He's as far away from God as the untouchable woman who is a sweeper. So, uh, but we are all equal because we are equally loved by God for God's soul of the world that he gave his only begotten son to save us. All of us uh, become children of God through repentance and faith. Uh, we, are, we all receive the same spirit. We are baptized into the same spirit. We become members of the same body. So these biblical ideas of equality began to change the Hindu caste, uh, threat to Hindu caste system. Uh, uh, and, and this is a conflict which is still continuing in India uh, uh, constitutionally. The Christian idea is enshrined uh, in the Indian constitution, the equality of all human beings, but in practice, social reality, and in religious reality, uh, it is still denied. Even our president, who is a tribal woman, she's not allowed to enter the holiest place in a temple. The previous 
uh, president was also a low caste president. Uh, these are uh, sort of, sort of uh, showcases that uh, political parties are respecting uh, uh, tribes and castes that had been traditionally marginalized. But even the president of India cannot enter the holiest of holy in a Hindu temple to see a, a deity and to worship. Wow. So in Christian churches in India, do you see people from different castes like worship, worshiping, together? worshiping together? Or is are, is the Christian church there still kind of wrestling with the cultural realities, the social realities of the caste system, and trying to figure out how to how to do that within the body of Christ. Well, Indian church is still struggling, though uh, the the truth has been accepted of human equality and human di equal dignity has been accepted by the nation, and uh, uh, the credit goes to the Bible. But has the Bible transformed the Indian church itself? No, the Indian church is still struggling, and it is a victim of, uh, first of all, the British problem, because Britain didn't have racism, but it had class system. And initially, the first missionaries like William Carey, who came, they were low caste. He was a cobbler. And because he was a Baptist, he was not allowed to study in the university. He couldn't enter uh, Anglican universities such as Cambridge and Harvard, uh, Cambridge and Oxford. Uh, these had become as Roman Catholic monasteries. Then they, after the Reformation, they became Anglican universities, and they would not admit Baptists. Uh, but after 1813, when uh, missionary movement was legalized, that you can legally enter uh, as a missionary, enter India as a missionary, uh, then the university elite began to come, university-educated elite, Anglican elite, began to come to India as missionaries, and that they began education, which was wonderful, uh, but they had a practical problem, which was that the children, upper caste families would not allow their children to sit with the lower caste to study. The lower caste had no money to pay fee, and running a school costs money. You have to pay for teachers, you have to pay for maintenance. Uh, so the uh, the missionaries, many of them decided to educate the upper caste children and not admit the lower caste children. So the the Hindu elite that you see in India are, are educated by, at least their parents are educated by the missionary movement, but the missionary movement began to educate the upper caste who had the money to pay the fee. But this situation was complicated by the moral failure of the American church, because American church was struggling with racism, uh, with discrimination. So the blacks would worship in one church on Sunday morning, and the whites will worship in a different church. And if the American missionaries said that if we allow blacks and whites to worship in different churches in America, who are we to say that the Indian converts should worship together, low caste and high caste? And this problem continues, particularly spread by Fuller uh, Seminary. Uh, the, it's called the insider movement, that upper caste and lower caste should be kept separate in Indian churches. So this problem is continuing today, where there are American missionaries and missiologists who are teaching this American racism to the Indian church that don't try and fix the castes, uh, upper caste converts and lower caste converts, because we don't do that in America. So, so yes, Indian church is reflecting some of the moral failures of British and American missionary movement, and it is hurting the gospel. Wow, that's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I... I've lived abroad and I think I can, not in regards to churches, but to see other countries and their people wanting to either emulate or mimic a lot of what 
Americans do and thinking, well, if America does it, that's the way that we should do it. And it, it can hurt, you know, the, the forwarding of the gospel or um, even just the living it out consistently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Boy, All right, that's we're, yeah. We're going to take a quick break uh, and we will be back with you, Vishal, in about two minutes. Uh, we're going to hear right now from our friends at Impact 360 about their worldview training program for young people. And if you have any questions, make sure to write them in the chat. That's right. I will be right back with Vishal in two minutes. Everywhere I looked, everything I read, all the things the world told me about who I was, what I should like, it was all there. The thinking had been done for me. But what if you can't shake the feeling that you are destined to be something else, someone else? Someone other than just popular. Or unpopular. The smart one. The jock. The Christian. The sinner. In the world today, how does anybody know who? Or what to be. Or what to even know. I found those answers and more. I learned how to think through the superficial problems and transcendent issues before me. And begin to understand what God has revealed and why faith is not blind. What I believe in my heart from my experiences. To know and respond to endless challenges of my faith with love and with confidence. So that I may listen and engage because I know what I believe is true. community where you are transformed in your character as you discover your identity in Christ and your God-given calling. It's not only who you are, but where you should be. A community where you are cultivated as a leader. Where you will learn how to live a life of service to others as you follow Jesus Christ. The Impact 360 Institute is a community of experiential and holistic learning where you develop confidence in what you have always believed in your heart to be the truth. Then take what you know about God and what you know about yourself and live as an agent of change in your own community. Know Jesus more deeply. Be transformed in your character. Live a life of kingdom influence. Know. Be. Live. Thank you so much to Impact 360 for your support of the Center for Biblical Unity and the All the Things podcast. If you have a young person in your life who you want to grow in understanding their Christian worldview, Impact 360 is really one of the best places on the planet. Um, they have one, two, and nine month year pro not year programs one to one week two week and nine month programs for young people if you have a young person who has graduated college graduated high school but is not sure about their next steps going to impact 360 for their nine month gap year program may be the perfect spot to really ground them in their worldview before sending them off to college it's so important to have young people who understand what the christian faith is and what they are walking in so Check out Impact 360. And uh, applications went live today for 2024. Yeah, awesome. So last time for 2023, I know that applications filled up in like just a few weeks. Mm -hmm. So if you're thinking about the 2024 academic year, go check out the application. You got to get on it because it just opened today. Okay. Um, wow, I'm I'm feeling like very sad that uh, we not only have race problems here in America, but we have exported our race problems to other countries. You were saying during the break that you saw similar things living in Africa. Yeah, um, in South Africa, especially with some of the gang things, some of the just just different ways that people 
think America's doing something right. And so because they're doing it right, we need to be doing this too. Or um, I think on the opposite side too, you know, we won't speak into something that is that is a sin issue because we don't want to disturb the culture. And so it, it can be it can be problematic. I think but ideas have consequences. And so because ideas have consequences, it's really important to understand what the ideas are that you're running with, especially in a country that isn't your own. Yeah. Well, I as we Or your own country too though. Don't play okay. <laughs> exactly. Um, one of the parts of your book, Michelle, that I thought was really interesting and I was hoping we could talk a little bit about is medical practices and how you see the Christian worldview and our idea of the image of God it kind of shaping some of our sensibilities about medical practices that we might not even ever think about, mm. that, that this could be an outcome of the Bible. True, that education, medicine, um, law, languages, these were some of the major uh, differences. Also, the political philosophy that came to India uh, through the Bible and changed uh, India. Uh, Medicine uh, today in America, Indian women doctors maybe more than the white female doctors, uh, which is amazing because 100 years ago, there were no women doctors in India, and there were certainly no uh, Hindu female nurses uh, because the upper castes who were educated or were taking education, they wouldn't allow their girls to become nurses doing dirty things of cleaning. Um, But uh, I can talk about the history of medicine uh, but leprosy was one of the earliest issues that um, William Carey began to fight through his paper, Friend of India, because uh, lepers were untouchables, they were outcasts, um, but to touch them, heal them, wash them, uh, so whole leprosy mission became fake. The deaf and the dumb, uh, they would, the people would throw stones at them, uh, and uh, despise them, but to begin institution for the deaf and the dumb, etc., were uh, transformative issues that these are people made in God's image. Jesus touched the lepers. He healed the deaf and the dumb, and that he called the church uh, to serve because sickness was not a result of one's karma in previous life, but is a result of sin. And as Jesus came to deliver us from sin, from all the consequences of sin, which is suffering, which is poverty, uh, which is physical ailment and death. So this whole medical mission, which resists death and seeks to give abundant life um, to the people, was part of Christian mission from the very beginning, and it continues to be so. I have a friend who has been a missionary in several uh, third world countries, and she said, you know, one of the things about medicine, wherever Christianity brings medicine, it it really changes things because um, in some countries, you know, if there's a sick person or even a dead person in the street, you just walk by or you walk over them and there's no sense of, of dignity or treatment, you know, in those senses. And I was thinking about that as I was reading that part of Vishal's book of just how these, like even the idea of in our society where we we have a a service like calling 911, Mm -hmm. that there is an idea of a hospital that we can take people to and and that we treat everybody who comes into the hospital. Well, why do we do that? Not every worldview sees inherent dignity, value, and worth in the human person. And like Vashal said, in, in their Hindu context, sickness would be seen as a consequence of, of karma, mm. you know, like getting what you deserve. And 
the Christian ideas of dignity are so embedded in some of our sensibilities. We're not even consciously aware of them. That we're participating with the Christian worldview when we go to a hospital. Yeah. If you can't afford it. Like, where where did that idea come from? To to give a very concrete example, the Muslim Mughal dynasties ruled Delhi for 300 years before the British took over. And before that, for 400 years, other Muslim dynasties had ruled Delhi. But in those 700 years, Delhi, which is the capital, they did not build one hospital. The oldest hospital in Delhi is St. Stephen's Hospital. And it started because of a 16-year-old British girl. Uh, Her brother had been killed in the 15th, uh, in uh, uh, 1858 57 uh, revolt or mutiny, and she came to visit Delhi and she found that there was no hospital for women and children in Delhi. So she sat on the banks of Yamuna River with a chest of medicine, giving medicines to women who came to bathe because there was no uh, in water being supplied into homes. So women had to go to the river to bathe, to wash clothes, to change, etc. And uh, she began to inquire about their health and give them medicines what she could. The older uh, English uh, elite lady, wives of officers, they got inspired by this woman. And that's how the first uh, hospital was built in uh, in India, in Delhi. And it's still one of the most important hospitals. Uh, this is what Malcolm Muggeridge a humanist uh, intellectual writer in England as he traveled around the world, Africa, Asia, and he began to notice that we boast of being humanists, but who is really caring for the sick human beings? It is the missionaries who are going and caring. So in that sense, yes, the culture which despised the sick Because when you interpret sickness as a result of one's karma, you are adding insult to injury. The man is already injured. He is sick. And you are saying that this he deserves it because of his life in previous incarnation. So you're adding insult to injury. But Christians saw sickness and death as a consequence of sin. And Jesus came to uh, take the curse of sin upon himself, to set us free, and he commissioned his church to go, not just to preach, but to also heal and to educate, disciple nations. And that's how the missionary movement, um, and most people today do not know that the uh, while the first uh, university started in Europe in Bologna was a law university, the second university started in uh, Montpellier in France. That, that was a medical university because Christian monasteries and nunneries had accumulated so much knowledge and information about sickness and different symptoms and treatments, what works, what does not work, uh, that for any monk who is going to be looking after the sick in monastery and nunneries, they needed uh, to take the time to study about all of this uh, uh, information, medical information that had been accumulated over a century, or over a thousand years. Uh, that's why the second university that was uh, begun in Europe was a medical university. And after that, for 400 years or so, every university had four departments, theology, philosophy, law, and medicine. Uh, so whole of the medical uh, modern tradition of medicine where the doctors take responsibility for what they have diagnosed, why did they diagnose this? So they, they write it down that on the basis of these and these and these tests and this diagnosis, I'm prescribing this medicine. So the scientific medicine of doctors taking responsibility on the basis of which they can be sued uh, was part of a scientific a development of modern medicine, which was an implementation of Christ's command to go preach the kingdom of God, abundant life, uh, and heal the sick. 
Well, you know, so much of what you're saying isn't just like, you know, the gospel came and it changed this one person's heart or or this village's heart or things like that. But it's it's policy. It's, you know, things that were changed in government and things that we see in the university. It's a big structural changes. But there are people who would say that we should keep our theology or Christianity and scriptures away from public life or away from policy life. What would you say to that? Well, uh, uh, that going back to the Delhi, the 16-year-old girl comes and uh, because of her compassion and steps, the uh, one of the best medical hospitals is created in uh, Delhi, um, which is a policy decision. The government now has medical uh, institutions and um, research institutions, educational institutions. So her little uh, effort uh, at an individual level results in changing the policies. Uh, so for 700 years, Islam rules uh, in Delhi, but does not establish one hospital for its own women. Um, interestingly, uh, Shah Jahan, or was it Akbar, had uh, built a hospital for women in Agra, which was the twin capital of the Mughal Empire, because he married a uh, Armenian woman, a Christian. Her sister was a physician, so her sister was invited to look after Akbar's harem in Agra. So the first hospital that was started in a Mughal uh, capital in Agra, not in Delhi, but in Agra, uh, was started by a Christian woman from Armenia because his sister had been married to the king, uh, to the emperor. So, uh, yes, changing policies uh, was part of the understanding of the gospel to disciple nations. Uh, American uh, individualism, uh, individualism is an idea that has explained some of the greatness of Western civilization, because it comes from the Bible, or when particularly when Martin Luther says that my conscience is captive to the Word of God, therefore I'm not going to obey the emperor or the pope. My uh, it's the Word of God which rules my conscience. So his defiance of the emperor, his defiance of the church of the pope, uh, begins this tradition of Western individualism. Paul, Apostle Paul was an individualist, that I'm dead to the world, the world is dead to me. Christ was an individualist. But biblical individualism was very different than what America has now made it after the 1840s. Uh, biblical individualism said, not my will, but thine be done. I surrender myself to God so that he might take my body, my blood, break my body, shed my blood, for the salvation of the world, for others. So I sacrifice myself for the others. Others are more important. Mm -hmm. But what has happened to individualism after Ralph Waldo Emerson in America is that I'm the center of the universe. If this baby is not convenient, I abort my baby. If this marriage is not convenient, I get rid of my spouse. This is now American individualism, that the church exists for me, Jesus came for me, heaven is for me, I'm the center of the universe, I don't make any sacrifices for Jesus or for the world. So this is a corruption of individualism, which has impacted American Christianity, evangelical Christianity, which sees salvation as a matter of saving individual souls, preparing them for heaven not making them light for this world, salt for this world, which is what you're seeking to do. That the gospel must transform American culture uh, and, uh, and through the American missions, the global culture, because we are called to disciple nations, not just to take individual souls to heaven. That's good. Yeah, that's because that's what I hope my, my clip girl will grab that clip of the, the, the difference between biblical individualism uh -huh. and 
American individualism. Yeah. That that's really good. That was good. And also the idea of the gospel calling us to disciple the nations. That is take souls to heaven, like individual yeah, souls. Yeah. I mean, that's the drum that you and I are hitting all the time of yes, Jesus died to save our souls, but while we're here, there is this this component also of how does the gospel transform and change my life? And then how do I disciple others mm-hmm. and bring that salt and light everywhere I go and, and the impact, the transforming impact that that has on those around us? Wow. This has been a great conversation. Well, yeah. Well, thank you. The, the, the idea of the soul itself has been corrupted by American evangelicalism. Soul is not an individualistic entity. Uh, a person's soul, psyche, emerges in a child's relationship to his mother, to his father, to his siblings, to his environment. Soul is made in the image of a triune God. So it is essentially a relational uh, entity. Um, when you're born again, you're not just going into heaven as an individual soul. You become part of a temple a body, you're a living stone joined together with other living stones to become the dwelling place of God. So the concept of uh, individual soul being saved and going to heaven is a corruption of biblical idea of soul in American Christianity. Wow. This is, this is really good. Yeah. Um, as, as we close out, I, I know that you've done a lot of work on education and your whole project with education. I'm wondering maybe if you could just give us kind of a, uh, a thumbnail of your book. I think it's, is it the, um, third the, third, education revolution. the third education revolution. Just give us kind of a little bit of a, a taste of what that is. And, uh, sure. cause I want to encourage people to, to check that out as well. Yes, the third education revolution is a revolution which is uh, a ter- making every church, the uh, in equipping the church to take education back from the state. Students will enroll in accredited university, let's say Biola, but go to the local church to attend classes. Professors will come to the local church, not just from Biola, but from hundred other universities and experts. So there may be just 15 students in a church, but 1,500 professors will come to church every day online. Students will be mentored by an academic pastor uh, who will uh, make sure that they're studying, they're participating, their character is being cultivated. So this is an attempt to reintegrate truth, veritas, and virtue, character, into education because uh, the educational system as it has developed in uh, over the last thousand years has it, it need not continue any any longer as it is uh, the, the here are universities that have now they were started by the church but they've turned against the church and against the Bible and therefore the church has to take education back. America, American Christianity is very interested in homeschooling and Christian schools. Uh, homeschoolings are some of the finest things that are happening in America, but the fact remains that you cannot fight the darkness that is coming from universities with homeschooling movement or Christian high schools. American church, if it really wants to win the culture war and disciple the nation, has to take on the power of the university and every church in America can become a, a micro university better than Harvard or MIT or Stanford. Wow, very good. All right, Bob's going to put uh, your book up on the screen for everyone. Third Education Revolution from Homeschool to Church College. So if people want to check out your work in that area as well, they can get connected to that I, on Amazon. I so agree, um, you know, that the church taking on the university because so many of our young people are being d- discipled at their university, at Christian universities. And they're walking away 
you know, with a foundation of critical theory instead of a foundation of Christ. Yeah. And so, yeah, I definitely see that. All right. We have a question for you on face. Nope. On YouTube. YouTube. And it's from Elaine. And she asks, when sharing the gospel in India, what parts of the Bible resonate with hope for potential converts? What scripture truths seem to attract them to Jesus? Uh, different people are attracted by uh, different things. Let's say uh, with regard to worship of nature and human beings in spirit. Uh, are we supposed to be worshiping nature as James Cameron is teaching us in movies such as Avatar? Or are we to establish our dominion over nature? Um, that Jesus, in saving us, he's making us kings, rulers. We are to sit and rule with him. Um, this transformation of human beings being turned into priesthood. Now, the lower castes are attracted by the idea of priesthood of all believers, because Hinduism made only the upper caste Brahmins as priests. Uh, but if uh, lots of lower castes are turning to Christ, uh, because once uh, the, the Lamb of God shed his blood, makes slaves of Satan, makes them sons, Sons serve their father as priests. They manage their father's kingdom as princes, as kings. So Jesus is king of kings means that we are kings. And this it, transformation of outlook of um, uh, turning slaves, lower castes, into rulers, into priests, is transformational. And um, uh, this the idea of human equality, human dignity, uh, that every slave of Satan becomes a son of God is a revolutionary idea. Oh, that's so interesting. Well, wow, this has been a fascinating discussion, really Vishal. Has. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us tonight. I know people are going to be blessed by your work. And once again, uh, your website, Bob's going to put it up here, is therevelationmovement.com. People can find out more about your work and what you are up to. And um, the book, it, the book that made your world is, is your book. You said it's back in print. And uh, a lot of our discussion tonight was uh, focused on themes that are developed in that book. But Vishal has written many, many books, including books about William Carey and education and and so many issues so people can check out your work there. Thank you so much for I, being with us tonight. Well, thank you. God bless you in your uh, mission. Well, thank, thank you. you. God bless, God bless you. you. Yeah. Have a good night. Good night. Wow. That was, I learned a lot. Yes. <laughs> what about you? What are, what are some takeaways you're going to have from that discussion? The ideas have consequences that are, you know, and and when we align our ideas with the word of God, that those ideas really do have long lasting impact because that's what, you know, he testified about India, you know, looking from the government and the university structure and medicine and hospitals. It was because someone align their thoughts, their mind, their faith with the word of God and ran with that. Obeyed. Obeyed. Yeah. yeah. Instead of the ideas and, you know, of Hinduism or the ideas of yeah. any other, you know, false religion. Um, so our ideas have consequences and we see that playing out even in our own nation as, you know, for us, the conversation we tend to have is Christianity or critical theory. Ideas have consequences. What are we going to run with? I think for me, I think one thing that's going to really stick with me after this discussion is the struggle of, in the, of the caste system in India. And even though there are these powerful ideas in the Bible of human dignity and equality, and I loved how Vishal talked about that. Christians still struggle with cultural tribalism. Mm -hmm. 
you know, to, to they, they struggle with being the people of God the same way that we struggle with that here and overcoming cultural sensibilities of who I could associate with. Yeah. You know, one of the things you and I are always saying is Jesus did everything necessary at the cross to make cultural enemies into family. Mm -hmm. But living that out in a, in a room full of people filled with my cultural enemies or people that society tells me I shouldn't associate with, mm -hmm. you, you've got to, you got to have some bravery in that. Yeah. And we have to stop sending fuller missionaries over that, you know, say otherwise. Oh, oh Randy, we didn't see your question. It came in a little too late. Sorry about that. Yeah. Well, this has been a great conversation. I hope it has blessed all of you and uh, you'll check out Vishal's work. I yes. was very honored that he uh, came on the show and yeah. and did it. So uh, next week, we are hoping to have somebody on about the Supreme Court decision about affirmative action. Yes. We've got a lot of messages out there in the yes. atmosphere <laughs> trying to find somebody qualified uh, who's read the opinion and is conversant about it. And so we don't want to just get on here and have a bunch of opinions. Yeah, no, we want to know what, you know, what's being said and being done in the legal sphere. But then we also want to have the conversation from the biblical side. Yeah. And how do we think about this from a biblical perspective? So we're working on that. It's a work in progress, Lord willing. Um, we'll have somebody for next week. If not, we'll talk about something else. Yes. But all right. All right. That, I think we're done. I think we are. You guys have a blessed week. Make sure to share this stream with somebody that you know, and maybe even think about sharing it with your pastor. Uh, maybe if you're in classical conversations, uh, maybe the, the, your leadership team might enjoy this. Um, it might be a good conversation to listen together and discuss with the high school age homeschooler in, in your, in your home. Uh, think about who you can share and this information with, because this is not the type of information that people come across every day. Yeah. So, all right. All right. Good night. night. God bless. Thanks for listening to All The Things. Be sure to subscribe to our website at allthethingsshow.com and find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or wherever you stream your podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and the bell so you'll receive alerts when we post new shows. We'll see you next week.